Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We explain why Charles Leclerc needs to be in Formula One next season and run the rule over the driver market. Well, we're at the midpoint of the Formula One season, so we're well and truly into what might be termed a silly season with discussions about who's going where for next season and indeed for the seasons beyond. Obviously, there's one driver not currently in F1 who is uh, the focal point of a lot of attention. Charles Leclerc, in his rookie season of F2, is leading the championship. Five wins in 12 races, four of those feature races without the assistance of the reverse grid. So this is a a 19-year-old hot shoe who is is certainly putting himself onto the F1 radar. So we can have a bit of a chat about what his strengths are and whether he should be on the, the grid next year. My name is Ed Straw, the Editor-in-Chief of Autosport. First up among my three guests, we've got Alex Kalanorkas, the Assistant Editor of Autosport, our F2 correspondent, our resident Charles Leclerc expert. Now, this is your first full appearance on the Autosport podcast. You had one appearance as a sub earlier in the season. So uh, do you feel like you've justified your place here and ready to bring some first-class, first-team chat? I hope so. I've made some very detailed notes. Um, hopefully, I won't do the my classic thing of just... Uh, having too many thoughts in my head and not being able to get them out of my mouth in time, which I think had a bit happened a bit uh, last time. And it's happening there. So you, it could still repeat itself. It starts you mean to go on. Yep. It, it's <laughs> happened already. And you've also made a virtue of the fact you, you're coming in with an empty-headed approach. So. Well, 
that that that's pretty much what I've learned from the best. Exactly, yeah. that's what the rest of us do. Uh, talking of uh, empty headed, we've also got Ben Anderson, our, our Grand Prix editor, who is who is one of the few people who has mastery of where everyone's contract is on the F one uh, on the F one grid. See, it's it's starting to get a little bit interesting in the driver market, isn't it? So there's uh, there's plenty to keep abreast of for you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. The the driver market's always fascinating, always shifting, and always unpredictable. So hopefully we can unpick. Uh, this year's driver market and beyond. And we've also got Glenn Freeman, the Autosport.com editor. Driver market stories are always good for interest, plenty of news to be had there. So are you looking forward to a couple of months of some frenetic activity? I'm looking forward to what we always get, which is frenetic speculation, lots of things that might happen, and then all the F1 teams are really boring and sign whoever they had already. <laughs> but keep listening, because with the next 45 minutes to an hour is going to be really interesting, I promise. Yeah, we're going to explain why that's not going to happen and then conclude that it, that it may do. But sometimes there's great seasons, aren't there? 2010? Just about everyone changed. That was a, a great season. We had Michael Schumacher coming back, Fernando Alonso moving. There's a there's a season a couple of years down the line where that could happen. It's not going to be next season, but uh, that's something we'll get onto uh, later in the podcast. To come back to Charles Leclerc, this is a guy who's really on the up. Won GP3 last year. He's surely going to win F2 this year. He's certainly looking on course to do it for, for Prima. So Alex, what are you seeing from Charles Leclerc to say that he's not just somebody who happens to be doing well in... In F2, obviously, it's possible to do well in championships and be a very good driver without necessarily being somebody who's got the potential qualities to be uh, to be an F1 star. So what is it about Leclerc that's really grabbed you over the past few months? Well, he does seem to have that superstar quality in that there's an aura about him. It, I don't necessarily think it was pre-written at the start of the year that he would come in and blow everyone away in the way in the way that he has done. Um, but he's just made an amazing start to, let's not forget, his rookie F2 season. And Isn't it everyone's rookie F2 season that's uh, been renamed? It's it's definitely not. You can't have the same car for, what, six years and have rookies who've, who've driven it before that. <laughs> um, to be fair, there are it is a very, quite a strong rookie field. You've got Nick DeVries, Alexander Albon, you know, drivers of that calibre there. But Leclerc has just come in and done extremely well. As you said, five wins, four feature race wins. He's got six consecutive pole positions, uh, which equals Stoffel van Dorn's record in the category formerly known as GP2, um, which he did between uh, the end of the 2014 season and the start of 2015. And I don't think he's showing any signs of stopping. Um, And I know uh, I was told that he has a list of things that he wants to achieve in F2 and smashing that pole position uh, record is one of them. What else is on on the list? That's what I want to know. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, he was he wasn't keen to reveal uh, all of them. Let's say, but um, <laughs> I'm sure there are many more and many more on there. He's also got 188 points. And by comparison, for everyone who just says, "Oh, he's at Prima, which won last year, they're the best team, got the best whatever," uh, his teammate and fellow Ferrari Academy driver Antonio Fuoco only has one podium and 23 points, and he's clearly not a terrible driver. So there must be something the Claire's doing that is just. Totally out there, totally brilliant. Um, let's also not forget that, um, really sadly, his father died three days before the start of uh, the activities getting underway in Baku last month. And he just turned up in qualifying, got pole, won the feature race, sh- should have won the sprint race. But unfortunately, um, he went past the yellow flag incident. And um, because the, the sectors at Baku are so long, he actually managed to still set a personal best, even after passing the yellows and lifting off. So obviously he was guilty and he got a 10 second penalty, which meant he lost the sprint race win. But the fact that he could do that just three days after what must have been a really, really hard time for him and his family points to an incredibly strong individual. And he's only 19, which to me, I think suggests superstar, as I said, and I think he deserves to be on the F1 grid next year. 
Yep, I completely agree. I I first encountered him uh, when he turned up in Formula Renault Euro Cup. Did a few. You can't call them one-offs when there's more than one of them. He did a one-off, <laughs> a two-off, and a three-off. I think that season, and he really shone uh, in mixed conditions. There were a couple of mixed conditions races, and the Renault Euro Cup back then. You know, you had thirty-five cars, something like that, and he got a couple of podiums as just this kid coming in uh, with you know nowhere near the experience of the guys at the front of that field. That just instantly marked him out as a star to me. I just thought, you know, the, he, he, the way he drove in in low grip conditions, with just with so much sort of flair and, and panache as well, and he just seemed totally at home immediately in that environment. It's very rare when, when you, you've covered a lot of junior racing as as I have. It's very rare that someone makes an instant impression on you. Maybe Nico Hulkenberg did that. Jules Bianchi did that, uh, and I would include Leclerc in that in that list and. I've kept kept an eye on him really ever since then, and I think yeah, Alex has detailed his his F two season to date. You know, has been superb. Every once in a while, a driver comes along like this who is genuinely special, and I think that's what we've got here. There's a real buzz about Leclerc, isn't there? Even in F one, their teams obviously he's contracted to Ferrari in the in the driver academy element, but there are other teams that have spotted Leclerc in the lower formulas and said this is the guy, the next guy who's going to come up the one worth watching there's people who watched him in in f3 i think he finished second at macau in not the best not the best car and it's amazing to think how dominant he's been in f2 in a single mate category which has immediately led to questions about prima what they found with the car that no one else has been able to find and i think that's just a sign of how strong he's been that as soon as he does so well people are already starting to question well how is that that possible that's just standard in any kind of one mate championship isn't it that's been going in on fact, at that level since the first year, when in the middle of 2005, when ART took a big step, and everyone's going, oh, what are they up to? That's, that, that's how one-mate racing works. I think the point you're making there, about, Ben, about the buzz is, I think it's quite easy for people who are not involved in racing, perhaps, to tell the difference between a driver who just happens to be doing well in a championship, a good driver doing a good job in a, in a good team, and a driver who's maybe that little bit more special. I think it needs to be underlined what the difference is in terms of that kind of buzz and what actually generates it. Well, this is why I reference, you know, going back to 2014 when he he wasn't long out of carts because I think what he's doing in F2 this year is amazing. You know, we are we still is it still Hulkenberg was the last rookie champion he at was that in level? 2009, yes. Exactly. It's, it's it's been almost impossible in the Pirelli era and let's not forget that even this year Formula 2 GP2 whatever you want to call it still has the the high degradation tires that have always been so difficult for rookies to master. So you have to take that into consideration, but you have to take his performances into consideration of everything else we've seen over the years since he's come out of karting and that's why you know this is something that has, has bubbled up over a few years and the great thing is that at the point where he really has to deliver on that early promise, he's I would say over delivering. You know, you talk about pole position after pole position after pole position the way those weekends are structured with so little track time and a half an hour session on a on a friday to decide pole position it's very rare that someone can string it together and nail it every single weekend but that's what he's doing and that's that's phenomenal it's interesting you mentioned that 2014 then glenn because that was the year he was driving for fortec and also driving for fortec in a different championship was his f2 title rival oliver roland who was his driver coach it's interesting that he's he's being so dominant in f2 i mean i remember van dorn winning his 
championship in 2015 he was set a target by McLaren to absolutely dominate that season because it was his second year he'd shown great promise in the first year in the second half of the season he was the the star performer on the grid and they wanted to see him string it together through the full season the fact that Leclerc's come in as a complete rookie and is already achieving at that level just shows what a talented prospect he is that's the thing I think Van Dorn became the new benchmark for that era of GP2 of what was possible in your in your first year it almost wasn't held against him that he couldn't win it in his first year because nobody does that anymore and yeah that's what makes Leclerc's achievements stand out even more to me it's the interesting thing because coming into the season I think on the F2 preview podcast we kind of touted Leclerc probably as a title favorite but there was always that mindset of well first part of the season make sure you keep picking up the points maybe get the odd win but I think anybody going into the season would expect to see the kind of the, the curve going upwards as the season went on. And so in Bahrain, you thought, well, yeah, he's, he's done well there. But then again, they test in Bahrain and it's a little bit of an unusual circuit. So maybe that's not really, but he's been able to just sustain that. It's interesting that he did start at a very high level in Bahrain in terms of pace. So obviously he was on pole, as we know. Um, he was fighting for the win in the feature race, but seemed to really struggle quite a bit with the tyre degradation to the point where in the sprint race, he, he he stopped, he made a pit stop, which is very unusual in a sprint race because they knew that they weren't going to get the tyres to last. He loves attacking and, and, and aggressive racing. So he just took all the life he could and he won the race very, very dramatically. But then I was expecting him to turn up in Spain and have a similar thing, not be able to make the tyres last. But he won the feature race. He's got a little bit of assistance from the safety car, I think, but he's been able to translate what he obviously the hard work you put in between Bahrain and Spain and the early season races into these feature race performances. To learn it that quickly as well is very impressive. That that Bahrain strategy sounds a bit like the way Fernando Alonso won of those one Spanish Grand Prix a few years ago on the Pirelli tyres. Just I think he did about four or five pit stops. He just I mean, went four for the, stops. Yeah, everyone else was trying to manage the tyres, weren't they? And he just went, no, we'll just keep stopping Tack. and keep going quickly. Yeah. yeah, I wonder also if Leclerc's benefited from that season in GP3 if we're comparing his campaign this year to Van Dorn's campaign in in gp2 van don didn't do gp3 did he skipped skip he came from world series which obviously has michelin tires that last very well so he'd had a year of pushing really hard on those so yeah it might have been an even bigger step that he had to make yeah i think he probably needed most of that first season to learn how to use the prelly tires whereas leclerc comes in with not absolute understanding but perhaps a better starting point to get on top of the tricky it's a family of tires so they have compatible characteristics should we say even though they're not exactly the same and it's interesting that the drivers that he was racing with in gp3 last year he made the step up as i said de Vries, albon etc are also doing very well qualifying very highly and and putting in decent performances could you argue that this is just not a very strong f2 season mm, i think you could make that argument but dams had they sort of had a suggesting that they had a bit of a struggle to the start of the season in terms of finding what they needed in the car which is starting to come good i think they really put Prima under pressure in Austria and if the race had been one lap longer I think Latifi would have beaten uh, Leclerc in the feature race because they got the strategy absolutely right. Roland was said he was focusing on improving his qualifying pace which he is doing he qualified on the front row in Silverstone. I think Prima seemed, seemed to have the qualifying just nailed. I It wouldn't surprise me to see Leclerc put that pole position consecutive pole position record out of reach but they are more under pressure in the feature races. I would I would agree that it's not going to go down as a vintage year in terms of depth for F2. But in some ways, when you look back on these seasons, they're only really as good as their champion anyway. And the fact is, he can only beat what's put in front of him. And you could argue he's demolishing what's put in front of him a lot of the time. 
So as long as he wins it in dominant uh, in dominant style, I don't really have a problem with that. I reckon he's he's showing enough that he could probably win a tighter championship with stronger opposition as well. That that's not his fault. In terms of the points gap, um, Roland should have a lot more than he does because he had a, a bit of a disaster in Baku where um, he was leading the sprint race and his gearbox failed. Um, and then he was also another victim of that ridiculous penalty situation uh, with the longer sectors. But also, having said that, Leclerc had a poor weekend in Monaco, not for his own making because he had a mechanical failure in the uh, feature race. But then he made what I think is probably his only big mistake of the year so far, or maybe, you know, the only one that really springs to mind, which is that he he, made, he went for a move that just wasn't on, on Norman Nato at Rascas and uh, took them both out, essentially. So there have been... It's his home race, isn't it, Monaco? Yes, might have got a bit worked up. He was clearly for for a guy who for a guy who seems to be very analytical and smart behind the wheel. You could see how much losing that feature race meant to him in the pit lane when he had his head in his hands and he's sitting on the trolley. Let's bring in a little bit more into the realm of F one. There's this kind of vibe about him that he's the the kind of new Gil Bianchi. Obviously, Gil Bianchi was a Ferrari junior. He was and he was Leclerc's mentor. He was on that trajectory that may have carried him into a Ferrari Formula One seat. He may have been in one now had things gone differently. Obviously, there is that connection between Leclerc and Bianchi. Tell us a little bit more about what their association is. Obviously, Glenn, you, you knew Bianchi and you've known Leclerc as well, so you'll probably have a good feel for that. What, what They're the... both part of the Nicholas Todd management stable and both obviously ended up with a Ferrari connection as well. But yeah, they're, as Alex alluded to there, their sort of, their relationship, I think, no, their friendship goes all the way back to certainly when, when Leclerc was in karting. And we've obviously recently had the anniversary of Bianchi's death, which is a you know, really significant moment in Leclerc's life, you know, to lose someone that close to you, who was sort of on, on the same journey as you were, but slightly ahead of you. But, you know, as we're suggesting there, Bianchi's journey was by no means complete just because he was in F1. That just adds another great layer to the story for me because I almost feel like Leclerc is so good and I think he has an opportunity here to basically complete Bianchi's story for him. And, you know, if that ends up being with success with Ferrari and Formula One, that's just, it'd be a fantastic way to pay tribute to to Bianchi. You could argue that there are elements about Leclerc where he is now, where he has an advantage over Bianchi, because the big question with Jill Bianchi, obviously, was the ability to deliver under pressure, the, the mental strength. He certainly improved on that in Formula One. But there were still question marks about that. He'd obviously had two years with Marussia. He was due to step up with Sauber the following year, which would have been the next kind of challenge. Can you consistently get decent results in a pointsy car? And then if you pass that test, you get into Ferrari. And obviously in the junior ranks, Bianchi, there were times when, certainly at GP2 level, probably he also had a, a little checklist of things he wanted to achieve. And that almost seemed to be more of a millstone around his neck. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think I I covered him in F3 World Series and GP2. It was the other way around, wasn't it? GP2, then World Series. So I think I saw him at his best and probably his worst on the ladder because I saw the relentless F3 campaign in 2009 where he was unstoppable. You know, Bottas as a rookie teammate who did put him under pressure from time to time, but he was in the zone that year. I remember his engineer who had worked with Sebastian Vettel at ASM, ART and F3 as well, saying he's faster than Vettel, but Vettel's got a few of the other facets that you need to be the, the complete driver. And really, Bianchi needed to maybe work on some of those. And he was great at driving away from the front, but didn't necessarily have all the other bits when it wasn't quite going so well. 
And that got exposed in GP2, I think, where he was expected to make the kind of step that Leclerc's made this season. And this was the start of the Pirelli era of um, GP2. They're race- this was 2011. They're racing the same car now and calling it F2, which Alex alluded to earlier. And I think he got a bit caught out by that. It suddenly wasn't a rookie's category anymore. Roman Grosjean came back to the category from a, his first, you know, not so great stint in F1. The momentum went away. The wind came out of Bianchi's sails a little bit, and it took him a while to recover from that. Then he went to World Series, where I think he thought he would go there and he would get his head screwed back on and would just charge through that series. Came up against Robin Frins, who was you know phenomenal in that championship. They collided at the final round when arguably Bianchi could have won it. So it ended up being a rockier road than perhaps we expected when he looked so sublime in Formula 3. And like you say, Ed, you were there in Formula 1 when he finally made the step up. Some of those doubts remained. and Not everybody was, was convinced by Bianchi, but you did get the impression that he was turning it around and he was getting back to what we thought we'd seen a few years earlier. Well, certainly I remember doing a piece on Bianchi, looking back at his Grand Prix career and what might have been. And one of the conclusions I drew in that is that probably the Bianchi of 2013 wouldn't have been able to turn in the Monaco points drive because obviously that was actually a pretty difficult race for for Bianchi. He had to work really, really hard to get into the points there. One, so we we were seeing that kind of kind of improvement. Um, but it's just interesting to see that that kind of comparison and maybe what Leclerc learned from the mistakes Gil Bianchi made. Ferrari is going to be key to Leclerc getting into F one. Need their assistance. It's interesting, really, because obviously you look at it. Ferrari have got this fantastic prospect. Of course, they need him to be in F1. They're not going to put him in a works Ferrari, other than for a test. Obviously, he's going to test at Hungary uh, in a few days after the Hungarian Grand Prix. He also drove the Ferrari at Silverstone last year. The interesting thing with Bianchi in the comparison is that there was a little bit of luck in the fact they got Bianchi into Mauritius at all, because actually Luis Razia had the 2013 drive. His backers paid the first fairly hefty instalment and then the deal ran aground you had uh, Bianchi picked up as he was the kind of best available option and it worked with the engine supply so while Ferrari then were helping to facilitate getting Bianchi into Sauber in a deal that was never actually properly announced but on the Suzuka weekend it was basically coming together we need Ferrari to actually not just want him to be there but to make it happen and then it's a question of how do they do that because obviously he's done some running. He did four free practice sessions for Haas last year. Haas weren't completely convinced with Leclerc. There's no room at the inn anyway, is there? Yeah, it's a very congested market. Arguably, the tragedy surrounding Bianchi has extended Kimi Raikkonen's career uh, and meant that he's been occupying that second Ferrari seat for longer than many expected. May well do so again for another season. The lack of movement in the top teams is creating a lot of congestion in the lower end of the market, which is preventing drivers like Leclerc and and Antonio Giovinazzi, who starred in GP2, the final season of GP2 uh, last year, from from getting their shot at the big time. And we're waiting to see how that congestion is eased uh, as contracts are drawn up and and seats are filled for for next season. It's an interesting thing you say about Haas, for some reason, not being that impressed by Leclerc last year. because don't forget, he was he was trying to win the GP3 title at the same time. And that's a very short championship. It doesn't do as many rounds as F2. It's not, it doesn't go to all the flyaway races. And he himself has said that he found it very difficult to jump from one car to the other. And it's a bit like that classic thing. If you try and do too many things, they all end up suffering to some degree. I wonder whether that's where Hass, Hass's problems are coming from. I don't know. He was doing 
F1 sessions on race weekends where he was also competing in GP3, wasn't it? It's not like we've seen in the past where maybe a junior driver, if the support races aren't there, he'll do the FP1 session. Yeah, this was this was a very sort of unique situation where he was jumping between the two on the same day. Yeah, it does hurt you. Felipe Nazar talked about that when he was doing FP1s for Williams during his final year of GP2 and saying, I just... It's screwing with my head. I can't believe it. Yeah. I don't know how to which to focus on, and I need to focus on my championship. But that means I'm not driving the Formula One car properly, and vice versa. If you remember Valtteri Bottas when he was on his development year with Williams, and he had a season out of racing where he was just focusing on doing the practice sessions, and I think it helped him just to focus on that, do the best job he could, impress them, and ultimately he earned his drive on the, the back of those performances. Maybe they wouldn't have been so strong if he was mixing and matching with a with a race program. And it certainly won't have helped the fact that he did. A run of three in the middle of the season. He did Silverstone, Hungara Ring and Hockenheim. So that was a quick fire run of races where he didn't have much time. It wasn't like he did one and then there were a few GP3 rounds where he wasn't doing it. And then he came back at the end of the year and he did Brazil, the penultimate round. Haas, Kevin Magnussen, Roman Grosjean are going to be there next year. So then you start looking for other opportunities. The perennial Ferrari-affiliated team is Sauber, which obviously has a Honda deal for next year or does it as well as there being a dimension of well is there going to be a Honda is there going to be a Sauber Honda on the grid next year and if so is Leclerc going to be a viable option for that and then if it's a Sauber Ferrari instead is Leclerc a viable option for that what does Ferrari need to do the way I see it Ferrari is going to need to be motivated to invest a bit here well there are a couple of scenarios maybe even three scenarios where that that could happen if Kimi Raikkonen isn't retained that frees a seat up at Ferrari. There are certain drivers who have arranged their contracts with their present teams looking towards that eventuality happening. Roman Grosjean is one of them at Haas. He desperately wants to be at Ferrari. And Isn't there something similar with Science? Didn't Marco say that Red Bull sort of said to Science, OK, well, if Ferrari come along, and then he followed it up with saying, but Ferrari haven't phoned me. Mm, yeah, no, yeah, not so sure. I mean, a lot, a lot of drivers in the midfield do deals whereby their present team won't stand in the way if a certain level of team comes in for them. That's what happened with Nico Hulkenberg going to Renault. Force India weren't going to stop him going to a manufacturer team. And off he went. Science is a bit tricky because he's on a, this rolling Red Bull contract. They, they've got him. So if somebody wants Science, they're going to have to pay Red now Bull. The whatever the, now up. the option's been taken has been taken up. Exactly. So as soon as there's interest in one of their drivers, like any good businessman, you exercise the option to make sure you get some compensation. If well, Christian Horner was saying at Silverstone on Sunday, yeah, he's an asset. And obviously there's a value attached to that asset. And then, of course, he was then pressed about, well, if you think he's good, why are you keeping it? It's like, well, we haven't got three Red Bull there racing There's another cars. bit here, though, where he he basically implied everyone has their price. But that prompted somebody to ask him, even Ricardo and Verstappen? And he said no. There's certain drivers who are gunning for that second Ferrari seat. There's plenty who feel that Raikkonen's over the hill, not delivering, that Ferrari need to need to shake things up. Grosjean's one of them. He's under contract to has. I think the wild card is Sergio Perez. Force India. He deliberately negotiated a one-year deal with Force India for this season amid some Ferrari interest last year. He could be the perfect option as a, a second driver to Vettel, uh, probably the the best or among the best midfield performers at the moment. But he also brings a commercial package. If you could get that into Ferrari instead of paying ten, fifteen million to Raikkonen to drive, suddenly you take ten to fifteen million from Perez, and that could leave you 30 million better off, which allows you then to invest, as you say, in in the younger drivers and, and what you want to do for the future. So then you're really looking at renewing terms with Sauber, giving them Ferrari engines for next season, and then 
that creates the possibility that you could essentially make Sauber the Ferrari junior team and put both Giovinazzi and Leclerc in there and see how they get on. So what we're saying is the only way we think Ferrari can get him onto the grid is by, yes, getting rid of Raikkonen, but not replacing him with Leclerc. We're thinking Raikkonen has to create a space that someone else in the midfield takes and then that creates a space further down. Yeah, you know, d- does that not does the Max Verstappen argument not almost fly in the face of that logic? It does. I know he did go to Toro Rosso first, but they didn't really waste any time with him, did they? There were pressures there, though, weren't there? Because there was there was just this clamouring of everyone for Verstappen. Well, there should be a clamouring for Leclerc as well, really. There should be, but there isn't, is there? Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull all wanted him. Red Bull had him at that stage, and so that that was a pretty high stakes game. The circumstances don't really matter. What matters is the results. So whether they were pressured into it or not, they ended up fast-tracking him to F1 and then fast-tracking him to the top team and he looks like he belongs. But Ferrari's interest in Verstappen only came once. Verstappen was in F1 and turning up trees. They're quite a conservative outfit. Conservative. They're far too conservative. Yeah, perhaps, but they're going to want to see the likes of Giovinazzi and Leclerc, even drivers that they're supporting, deliver somewhere else so that they know they're onto closer to a sure thing before they take the risk. It's not unprecedented for Ferrari to take a driver of Giovinazzi's experience a few races for Sauber that he did earlier this season replacing Fairline, but it's very unusual. They they tend to go for a surefire driver over the age of 25. Well, it's ironic if we call Perez a sure thing now because he was a Ferrari junior and because they didn't do anything with him, he cut the tyres and went to McLaren. Yeah, this, this is exactly it. I think Ferrari, they don't take this seriously, as seriously as they should because drivers are a massive asset. You get paid back in spades. You know, look how much McLaren got paid back by bringing Lewis Hamilton through. Look how much Red Bull gets paid back by the fact that it has people like Vettel, Ricardo coming through. So Ferrari, there's a difference between what Ferrari should do and what Ferrari will do. Is is Ferrari too arrogant because every driver at some point says, "Oh yeah, you always want to drive for Ferrari." You know, this dates back to you know the, the long held talk that Ayrton Senna wanted to go there one day. We know that Vettel wanted to go there and he's ended up there. Alonso wanted to go there. There's rumours this week, isn't there? Lewis Hamilton wants to go there, or at least is a fan of Ferrari. So do they just think, well, we don't actually need to get all our ducks in a row here in advance because there'll always be someone available who thinks Ferrari's a bet worth taking? I think I think you're broadly right there. I think Ferrari knows that, or feels that it's the biggest player in any driver market, and it can, if it wants a driver, it can go and get that driver. It doesn't matter what the the obstacles are. I think there is a, a, a case to be made for saying that their support of the likes of Giovinazzi and Leclerc is a little bit monkey see, monkey do, i.e. they see Red Bull having some success backing young drivers. They see Mercedes now get on board looking after the likes of Ocon and Verlon and they just think, well, we should probably get into that game as well without necessarily having a fully thought-out plan of how they're going to realise that potential in the future. Don't forget Sergio Marchione, as the massive boss of Ferrari, has made some pretty bold decisions for that company in recent years. So... I'm not saying, I don't know whether they're right or wrong, but he could say, well, let's promote Leclerc for 2018. I don't think that would be good for Leclerc because why put him into such an incredibly pressure-filled environment as Ferrari? Why not give him, if if they can make it happen, and as you say, they will have to be proactive in this, into a different seat, give him a couple of years and then see what he's done then. Yeah, I think you're right, Alex. They, if they did suddenly take the the decision to promote him straight to the top team, they then would be too impatient to give him the time he needs to adapt to Formula One and life at the front. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right that that would probably be a, a bad move overall, actually. I think something that Marchioni said, not last winter, maybe the winter before, might be even more pertinent, that he wants Ferrari, the Formula One team, to to 
to pull its weight economically. It doesn't want to be frivolously spending money uh, in, in the future. So if you think about think about that statement and how someone like Perez might fit into that commercially for the team, maybe he would be minded to do that kind of deal, which would then perhaps free up some space. That's all well and good, though. But let's say Ferrari was to that. Let's say they took Sergio Perez. Force India's then got a vacancy. Ferrari's still got to be motivated because Force India is the team that every good driver with some backing is hammering down the door of. If there's a driver out there who's got backing behind them who's good, they'll be in the Force India. So it will need Ferrari, again, to back Leclerc to get him in there. And that's that's the big problem. If Ferrari's expecting other teams to kind of do all its work for it, that that's the big, the big danger. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, Force India would definitely look at Leclerc because Force India is very good at picking up good young drivers and developing them. They have a good awareness of who around is good. And if Ferrari went to them and said, right, do you want Leclerc? They'd say, yeah, we're interested. But haven't they said before, we don't want to develop drivers for other people? Was it Force India that said that? They don't, but they've got Esteban Ocon in the car. They, they... Oh, but they have they have a bit more of a tie-up with Mercedes. So Ferrari come from the outside and say, oh, can you look after this guy for a couple of years? And if he's any good, we'll have him back. It's a bit different to if your engine partner, who you're trying to maintain a close relationship with, Ask that question. Very true, very true. But but it may well be a case of it's a team that likes having good young drivers who can do the job and deliver. And it'll come down to, in that situation, a question of, right, well, who are the people who are available, who are good? You know, even when they were looking at Bianchi, they, there's a, obviously the season they took Suttel instead. That was based upon the fact they did a fairly comprehensive analysis and they thought, yeah, we actually think over the season Suttel is going to get us more points in. So that will feed into it. But just as they won't, develop a driver Ferrari just because they want to develop a driver Ferrari if that driver is one they think is the best option they will look at them seriously but they will probably need to have some commercial element to it because there's every chance somebody good with some backing may come along and think well actually this is another good option we've got to consider it. Yeah well Force India I think said on the Sunday night Silverstone that they've opened talks with Prez about extending his contract again I think they want to maintain their current driver lineup and why wouldn't you he's brilliantly consistent picks up some big results has backing with him he, he ticks every single box but i think they're less concerned about losing him if they were to lose him than they might have been in previous seasons because things are going a bit better for them they've got ocon under contract for for three more years i think and only mercedes can come and take take him for 2019 should they want to uh so they know and given how well ocon has been performing already they know that they can bank on a, a top midfield driver already and their results in recent seasons mean they're doing better commercially they've got new title sponsor that's helping so the perez money doesn't quite carry the same punch or influence as it might have done in the past i think they'd want to keep him and they'd want to keep that money coming in but I think should he move on or if he moves on, they would probably probably take Verline and say, well, we'll be the Mercedes junior team. Why not? That that works well. You'd have two good young drivers there and, and get Mercedes to pay Verline's way. Well, this whole conversation centres around, are they going to keep Raikkonen? And we're past the British Grand Prix now, which is, it was at this point in 2016 where they announced he was re-signed to a really a collective groan, I think, in the media centre when the release uh, landed in everybody's inbox. Are we going to do that to us again? There's every chance. But to me, it just shows a lack of ambition and a lack of credibility for Ferrari. They're not going to win the Constructors' Championship this year, well, on current on the current pace of points, because of Kimi Raikkonen. They're leading the drivers, not the Constructors' Championship. Now, you've got Marcioni talking about wanting to run it on a more commercial basis and wash its face. Well, yeah, Ferrari gets loads of payments, but, you know, win the Constructors' Championship, that's a little bit more money in. 
It sort of has its face washed for it by its contracts in F1 already. To an extent, but there's still a chunk of money there. Not to mention the fact that Raikkonen, while he's doing the element of his job, which is keeping Sebastian Vettel happy, he's not doing the element of his job of taking points off the Mercedes drivers. Well, this is being exposed by Bottas, isn't it? If Lewis Hamilton's having a bad day or having problems, Bottas is in there now, beating Ferraris, at least beating Raikkonen. And on a day like we saw in Austria beating Vettel as well. He's doing Lewis Hamilton a massive favour there and Mercedes. Vettel had a bad a bad weekend or an off weekend in Silverstone. Raikkonen's driving around 10 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton. What, what, how's that helping? Raikkonen, even if he has a few races where he, he or whether he's an occasional laggard, as Marchione said before the Austrian Grand Prix, he does bring other elements to the, the party. Obviously, he's very experienced. He's very good technically, which helps Ferrari in terms of understanding problems, sorting out the car, understanding the tyres. Really, you've got to look at what are the alternative options. Yeah, there are higher performing drivers out there on the grid, but are they available and can you get them for a reasonable price? And if you look at the way the market is at the moment, probably the answer to that question is no. So therefore, it starts to reduce back to a situation where you're either taking a driver like Perez you're taking a risk on a youngster that hasn't proven themselves yet, which is a very unfairy thing to do, or you're re-signing Raikkonen for another year. Do you remember those games you had when you, when you were a kid where you've got, you have to make a picture from sliding tiles and there has to be one space, doesn't there, so you can move them all around? I feel like the driver market at the moment is maybe one of those toys, but someone forgot to take the piece out to allow everything to move. And I can certainly feel that we might just end up in a situation where everything stagnates for another year. That's very likely. There are there are th- there are three potential pieces that could be removed. Raikkonen's one, which we've discussed to death. Uh, the other is Alonso, who's out of contract to McLaren and doesn't really have any alternative options that are credible other than going to IndyCar. Uh, and third one's Pastor Maldonado. Uh, no, I was going to say Jolie and Palmer at Renault. That's a seat that if you're someone log jammed in the midfield, Renault is a very appealing seat. Even if you're Fernando Alonso. Because at the start of this year, I thought that's where he goes. Third stint at Endstone. It'll all be rosy because they'll, they'll be on an upwards trajectory. But I haven't seen enough of that yet to think that they will deliver in time for Alonso. I think for, for Renault to get to where they'd need to be to make it a viable option for Alonso would just take too long. Yeah. He's got to do another McLaren Honda by going to Renault. Which the last one of those has worked out exactly. really well. He's not going to have the patience for that. And I also don't think that Renault currently is operating on a budget big enough to attract a driver of Alonso's calibre either. So there's every chance Renault will have a seat next season. Obviously, there's another wild card there in Robert Kubica. And before we come back to him, it's just worth doing a little audit of the of the seats that are in normal circumstances being available. So if you look at it being literal, Valtteri Bottas is out of contract. Sebastian Vettel is out of contract. Kimi Räikkönen is. Sergio Perez is, Felipe Massa is, Fernando Alonso is, Daniel Kvyat, still not confirmed at Toro Rosso, Julian Palmer at Renault, and then the two Sauber drivers. There's a lot of scope there for, for things to happen. And obviously another appealing drive potentially is the Williams seat. Felipe Massa was brought out of retirement. They decided last year that Felipe Massa wasn't really up to scratch for them. And while he's had some decent runs this year, I, I would imagine Williams is sitting there thinking, yeah, probably this one extra season is enough. I guess the key questions there are up the front, is everybody assuming Valtteri Bottas will be re-signed? Can we see any scenario where that wouldn't happen? Mercedes would be mad not to re-sign him the way he's performed over those first 10 races. He is is doing the job that Raikkonen should be doing for Ferrari in that he is taking points off Vettel and winning races. Yeah, I think the only only way 
Bottas doesn't get re-signed as if something mad happens elsewhere and they can get their hands on a Verstappen or a Ricardo. Well, this is this is sort of what Wolf has hinted at, hasn't he? He said, we're not talking about it yet because the decision needs to be made with 2019 and 2020 also in mind. That sounds to me like that means we're going to offer Bottas another one-year deal, um, which he might not be happy with, but where else is he going to go? Ferrari. That'd be good. If you're Ferrari, you should look at him. I'd, I'd be on they the would, phone. They, they already have looked at him, haven't yeah, exactly. they? He they, almost went there for 2016, I Yeah, think. yeah they, they just didn't quite meet the, the contractual clause that they needed to, to pay. They wouldn't go to the, to the full amount. But if you were Ferrari and you were looking around, you know, dependable, good, race-winning driver who will perform at high level and... He's proven himself now, hasn't he? Absolutely, you would think, yeah. well, actually... They'd be mad not to that's, look that's at someone good, like Bottas. That's a good wild card because if you're Bottas, you could maybe leverage that and say, well, if you know, if you were Bottas's management, it'd be remiss of you not to be having conversations with Ferrari and saying, well, you know, we didn't quite get it over the line last time, but look what he's done now. How about how about a Vettel Bottas combination? And Ferrari might be thinking, well, yeah, actually, that's the missing piece for us in terms of the constructors' championship, etc. So, yeah, it's going to be complicated, like negotiations are, but you would think. Under normal circumstances, Bottas has got his dream opportunity at Mercedes. He's managed in part by Toto Wolff, who runs the team. It's going really well. Hamilton likes him, the team like him. He's going to be there next year. It's just a case of what the exact terms are. I well, that's think. the thing, yeah. isn't it? It's the length of the contract. It's do they want to just take him for one year, which I imagine the Mercedes team would quite like to do, simply because the guys like Ricardo are coming onto the market for the following season. It would make sense to to do that. And obviously, there's all sorts of rumours about Verstappen, etc. Mercedes, we can probably be reasonably confident that should happen, albeit with a caveat that until it's done, something can happen. And they'll be nervous because of what happened with Rosberg exactly, last year. Yeah. He had a, he'd signed a new two-year deal and then six months later he quit the sport. So, yeah, Mercedes will have to be, uh, will probably be the most nervous, even though they seem to have the most simple, uh, simple situation to deal with. Obviously, there's the Ferrari situation we've discussed at length. There's not a massive queue of proven candidates I think the interesting question there is whether, I think it is whether Marcioni has a little bit of a different tack and brings a different approach to the team. Maybe then there might be a more aggressive move made, but you could end up with Raikkonen on another on another one-year deal. Red Bull-wise should be static next season. Unless someone's got a lot of money to buy them out of their contracts, I think they're, they're staying put for at least next year. But obviously that's the, the key to the longer, the longer game. So Ricardo's out at the end of 2018, Verstappen at the end of 2019. We've seen, obviously, Verstappen's keen to get moving and he's not been afraid to agitate for... Oh, yeah, he's strong-armed them in the past, so I'm sure he could strong-arm his way out if he wanted to. I think the thing there with the Red Bull drivers is how long do they put up with having a car that really should be qualifying on the third row and finishing fifth and sixth on merit every time? To begin with, they were both guys who had come in and hadn't really experienced a top car, so even Ricardo had a good 2014 alongside Vettel yet to be in a championship winning car so I was probably prepared to play a bit of the long game then but just year after year now of well the engine's not quite up to it oh it turns out at the start of this year the chassis's not up to it as well at least one of them is going to run out of patience surely at some point because they both know they are too good to be finishing fifth and sixth every race I think Ricardo's the one whose patience will probably run out first and you know that as a rival team, he's you know he's the, he's the class act, isn't he? He's got the temperament, he's got the skill, he's got the speed. Doesn't cause problems. He's got a great personality. He's experienced enough that you can plug him in and know that he's going to he's do a, a good job technically. Package. So that makes him powerful, even if he's under contract at Red Bull. There are other teams who, if Ricardo shows interest, they are going to want to sign him. Should they be able to agree the agree the compensation for Red Bull, which is why Red Bull are so keen to keep re-signing Sainz. 
because they know they need insurance. Everyone's looking at the Red Bull drivers thinking, who wouldn't want a piece of one of those two drivers or both of them? And they need some insurance in case they can't deliver the car that keeps those drivers happy and they need to plug somebody else competent in. And obviously they've got science and that's that's what they'll do if they lose Ricardo Verstappen. So how does Ricardo pay it? I certainly wouldn't sign a contract extension for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've got him until the end of 18 as things stand, we believe. If they want to start talking to him about, well, why don't we do 19 with an option to 20? I wouldn't touch that right now if I was him. You know, it's that classic, you know, it's the football transfer thing, isn't it? Whereas if he lets that contract run out, he is not going to be without a drive. And everyone's going to be waiting to see what Merck do with Bottas and what Ferrari do with Vettel. I think once those situations play out, then you know, right, there's no chance of going to Mercedes, which I think every driver would want to do if they if they can. Then you look at Ferrari next. Okay, both of their seats are in theory open. They probably aren't going to change. Certainly they wouldn't want to get rid of Vettel. Where's he going to go? So, But you'd still be holding out thinking, well, is there a chance I can go there because it's better than my current situation? Vettel's probably not going to want Ricardo alongside him either, is he? He's had that once. And yeah. It didn't make him look very good. No. Um, so... It starts to look choked off there. You'd think, well, so what's better than being in a Red Bull Renault in in 2018? Historically speaking, McLaren would have been part of this conversation. But even if it was to change engines, which looks less and less likely now, would it be appealing? I've said to to people in the paddock, if you put the same engine in the the Mercedes, the Ferrari, the Red Bull and the McLaren, I think the McLaren would be fourth best. Yeah, it would be close. It'd be much closer between those four teams. Kind of like we saw during the V8 era. But yeah, I, I, I agree that McLaren will be at the back of that group. Mm. But it wouldn't be far off, I don't think. And I think that makes McLaren a big player. Certainly, if we're cl- closing off the top three teams, it makes it a massive player in the rest of the driver market because everyone wants to see what's going to happen with Alonso and whether he whether he stays or whether he goes. I think if you're a driver outside of those big three teams, yeah, it, beca- it becomes a very different kind of prospect, as does Renault. So it'd be interesting to see what would McLaren do if Alonso said, actually, do you know what? Either I'm going somewhere else or I can't be bothered to drive around. But maybe maybe I'll come back the year after or whatever. For Alonso, is, is it McLaren or nothing? I think so, yes. I don't think there's anywhere else he can go. Unless something remarkable happens. Unless multiple so, drivers so, retire from well, the exactly. top Well, exactly. I was about suddenly. to say, you need something like, like Rosberg's retirement, just something completely yeah. a bolt from the blue. Mercedes aren't going to touch him. Red Bull, he doesn't fit their profile at all and they've got two drivers under contract. And Ferrari, I think while Marchionne's running the running the show given he was running the show when Alonso fell out with Ferrari the last time I don't see him going back there unless there's a wholesale management change so this all seems to be pointing towards the top three teams in 2018 probability is they're going to be the same I think the only wild card is the biggest question the wild card but we've we've discussed that I think other than that it's likely to remain static and McLaren is likely to remain static if the engine situation is resolved in a favourable way for Alonso's competitive desires. And looking a little bit further down, so let's say if a Perez doesn't move to Ferrari or whatever, do we assume Force India stays the same? I think or could a Perez be somebody who's of interest to Renault? Obviously there were some discussions. Williams as well, Perez has talked to in the past. I think Perez would be a massive player in the in the midfield part of the market. Um obviously Force India would want to keep him if they can. Uh, I think Williams would definitely want to go after him because I think they're going to need to take a, a second paying driver for next season, I don't think they could afford to to keep on a. He'd Felipe be a step Massa. up from current Massa as well, wouldn't he? Hmm. Yeah, no I question. Think, I think so. Perez um, is an extremely rounded, sensible driver to have in a hmm. in, that, in a team. He's like the perfect middle driver. He'll do a very driver, good job. Yeah, with with being competitive, quick, reliable, and bringing budget. I mean, there's 
there's nobody better. So um, Williams need need to to fill a budget hole. So I think Perez would be their number one target, but I think he'd probably have too much power in that scenario. So it's more likely he'd stay with Force India or maybe go to Renault. He worked well with Hulkenberg. If his ambitions of going to a top team are frustrated again, he might see that as a the next best. The Hulkenberg element's interesting because as, as good as I think Hulkenberg is and as highly rated as he is quite often, Perez actually did okay alongside him Very at well, Force yeah. India. And you could argue that if Perez stays put at Force India, Ocon's only going to get better and better and better. He's already a thorn in Perez's side. That relationship could become even more difficult for Perez, particularly if he ends up being the slightly slower Force India driver the longer he stays there. So maybe, yeah, if there is an opportunity, either at Williams, where you'd expect him purely based on experience to outperform Lance Stroll, or Renault, where he'd probably feel comfortable alongside Hulkenberg again in a team that's hopefully on upward trajectory. Perhaps if there's a time to move, now is the time before he gets outshone by Ocon and his stock devalues. I'd agree with that. I think, and I think Williams is probably for him a side step rather than a forward step, based on how it's well the team's a slightly performing. backward step. Yeah. The, the gap that's being created now between Force India and Williams, pace wise on the cars, maybe not, but certainly consistency in the way the teams are. are, are generating their form or getting the most out of their cars so I think you'd look at him either I don't think he'd stay put I think he'd probably want to he'd probably want to go to Renault because if he can't get into Ferrari that looks like the next best option that would be considered a a career step up for him well manufacturer seats are very desirable for drivers particularly of Perez's stock you know he's, he's an established Formula One driver and that that Renault seat is very attractive to him I think yeah you're right I think if you had an equal choice, let's let's say, if there's a Williams seat, a Force India seat, or a Renault seat, if you're driving Perez's position, I think you probably would have to go down the Renault route. A little bit like Nico Hulkenberg kind of had to go that way, because you make the kind of best of a, a bad job, even if it's a little bit of a a little bit of a, a long shot. I think someone you have to consider for the upper midfield in terms of bringing a budget is Marcus Ericsson as well. He's obviously been at Sauber a few years. New investors in there are linked, we believe, to his management and his backers. I'd, he knows that he needs to move on to have a, a credible F1 career. I think they're keen to move him on as well. I think he has to be considered a contender for the, the Williams seat, given that they, they look to me like the team in the midfield that needs needs the backed driver the most. If they can't get their hands on a Perez, then Ericsson would probably be a good good backup option for them, unless they can go to the strolls and say, look, pick your teammate, but it's going to cost you x million more obviously strolls come on much better he had those run of three consecutive points finishes and the podium in in baku but obviously they'll want uh, a strong driver in the other car as well to help stroll continue to develop with some experience it's not looking particularly over overloaded with options one driver who we haven't really mentioned is carlos science jr who obviously there's been all sorts of mutterings about he's doing a good job in toro rosso he is signed up but is he a driver who could find his way elsewhere. I guess midfield-wise, it's unlikely because they'd need to pay for him, and people aren't going to do that. So, is is Sainz most likely just going to be stuck at Toro Rosso for another year, hoping a Red Bull driver leaves? At the moment, I think so. He's going to have to decide really what he wants to do. Red Bull have just done what any good company would do and say, right, well, you're our guy. If somebody wants you, they're going to have to pay us. But he he doesn't have to drive for for Red Bull or Toro Rosso if he doesn't want to. I think he's doing well enough that he could command some sway in the driver market 
further down. But but I guess it comes to the question of he's in a scenario whereby, let's say, Ricardo next season signs for whoever, and there's a vacancy in that scenario. It's a foregone conclusion. Science drops into it. It's got to be. And, and if that's so, yeah. and if that's the case, then science, unless somebody massive comes in for him, is better off just biding his time at Toro Rosso, isn't he? And being being ready in line and see how this whole thing pans out. You know, if Mercedes come in for him, fine, try and do, try and do a deal. But I think probably going to say a Renault which is probably the most appealing of that little group in terms of the longer term, would be potentially a mistake and he could be kicking himself if there's a Red Bull vacancy and he's moved himself out of line for it. Yeah, maybe. if he's It's if he's getting impatient enough to decide to shake things up. I think there's only two places in his position you'd want to go and it's McLaren if Alonso leaves or Renault if they're prepared to do a deal with Red Bull to take him. Other than that, you've just got to stay patient and wait for movement at Red Bull he says he wants to be world champion with Red Bull but at the same time it's clear that he's simply Red Bull's backup option which doesn't suggest that they have the greatest faith in him and if Ricardo is the one that goes do Red Bull really want to have to manage the science for Stappen thing again mm. no that was hard enough work when they were in the beating got very political didn't it yeah yeah uh, but, I mean but you could see you could see Ricardo for example ending up he could be a driver who's of interest to Ferrari down the line whether Vettel would want him and whether Ferrari would care if Vettel didn't want him is another question, but it, I don't think it's a, you know that that's a that's a big question. The Ricardo one is probably the first one in the queue after this latest raft of ones with people like Alonso and, and Bottas that could have, have a big impact. I don't think Vettel had a particular problem with Ricardo, did he? In their, their season not, together, it's not just he was too quick. Yeah, it, it seemed to me like that season was more about Vettel's own problems with the V6s and the fact Red Bull weren't competitive anymore after. Yeah, I think many he struggled. I think top. he struggled to deliver that consistent strong performance given that the car had got less competitive but still he'd look at Ricardo as a as a very strong team Ricardo is a better driver now than he was then as well yeah exactly so it would be that would be a that's a joint number one situation mm-hmm. isn't it mm-hmm. also on science um is there a danger that if he keeps getting involved in incidents like we saw in Bahrain and Canada that the top teams might not come calling yeah science is a driver who has who does have too many incidents not every other race but it can be a symptom of being in the midfield, though. Oh, very much so, yeah. You are more likely to do. But then again, you look at Ricardo incidents in the midfield by comparison. There, there were some, but not quite the same. I, I don't really have any problem with what happened at Silverstone uh, with, with Kvyat. That was Kvyat trying to hang on around the outside and then Kvyat's claim that science could have done something about that. I don't think is no. I don't think that's reasonable. A couple of stupid moves definitely this year, Bahrain and, and Canada with Grosjean on the first lap. He has to cut that out. But he is also on the flip side capable of pulling a qualifying lap out of the, the car that doesn't really seem to be in the car. Oh, no even question. rival team bosses have noticed that. I mean Austria was a great example getting into Q three, that car wasn't really capable. So he is very strong in the race as well, science in terms of showing consistent good pace. He's he's kind of like an immature Alonso. Is how it seems to me in in kind of the way he goes about things, which is hardly a surprise when you know he looks up to Fernando and yeah, asks him for they. tips. So <laughs> it's very very hard to call what happens in that midfield, then, isn't it? Because it is dependent on the other things. So if if everything remains static, then probably Williams, Williams and Renault become very very interesting ones. Perez then becomes a player in that. Are they the two teams? That we're probably all agreed there will be a change. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. There'll be there'll be changes in those lineups of some description. Because mm. yeah, Massa Williams will want to replace if they can, because they try to replace him. <laughs> I think before. they'll have to. I think it'll be more that they they won't be able to do the same deal they did to get him back in the first place. I think ideally, if you were Williams, you probably would want to keep him on because of the balance you've got with Stroll. All the while, 
he Stroll can still learn from Massa, why would you want to rock that boat? Like they love Massa. He's a good fit with the team. He's probably not too expensive either, but he's, I think he's too expensive for them for them to to carry on. So they're going to have to shake things up. Does Kvyat come in for another season, or does Gasly? Well, get promoted into Kvyat's an interesting scenario, isn't he? He's, yeah. he's struggling to be consistent. He's making too many errors. Yeah, after the science thing blew up a, a few weeks ago, um, and. Red Bull went very public with the fact that the option had been formally taken up. It wasn't, yeah, we'll keep him. It was, this is done. And then they sort of followed that up, didn't they, Ben, with, oh, we'll probably do the same with with Kvyat shortly. But it was the wording I found fascinating. Red Bull said, uh, well, we don't really see a reason not to. And then Kvyat at Silverstone said, well, I don't really see a reason that I won't be here next year. It's like, could either of you be any more negative about this? It's like, I can't find a reason not to do this rather than we really want to keep him. I think that shows just how little power Kvyat commands in the driver market at the moment. I think Sainz is a driver that other teams are looking at and you know you would want to, to put in your car if you, you could get him at the right level and at the right price. And that's why Red Bull feel compelled for the second year in a row to very publicly say, he's our driver, we've signed him for another year. Like Sainz said, that is a compliment. Yeah, and he's right. But they need to ward off interest. Kvyat, I don't think they do. So they're less bothered about taking up that option because it's not like people are beating the door down to get hold of him. And I guess also if you're Red Bull, you've got the problem with you're not exactly needing to fill the Red Bull main team with lots of drivers. So having one proper one is, is enough, isn't it? And also on that Red Bull Young Driver programme is that there's not massive pressure coming from below like there is at Ferrari at the moment. Obviously, Gasly's there, but below him... It's, I think Nico Kari in GP3. Yeah, they've had a sort of every every once in a while the Red Bull scheme produces some some good drivers that get into F1, but then the ones that they outperformed kind of get swept aside, and then they need to almost refill it from the bottom. So you've got good guys that have been picked up in the last year to eighteen months, but they're all sort of under Formula Three level at the moment. So yeah, that there's not huge pressure. There's not pressure building at the top of that queue. I think you're right, Alex and. I don't really know if the fact that they're talking about possibly keeping Kvyat is a bad sign of what they think about Gasly, or if, again, they just think Gasly's going to be an option that we can review in October if we need to. We don't need to talk about it in July. I think that's I think that's right. I think that's what they're going to do. They're, they've put, obviously put him in Super Formula to do a bit of a van dawn, see how he gets on in a random environment, yeah. take him out of his comfort zone. I don't think he was particularly convincing in GP2 last year. I think Giovinazzi showed him up, and that's probably cost him. And, but they're probably thinking, well, he might come good. So we don't need to re-sign Kvyat. He's not exactly the most solid option. He's rebounded a bit this year after a terrible setback being demoted from Red Bull, but he's not been convincing. So they'll probably just wait until the end of the season, knowing they're not going to lose Kvyat, and I just think... and just decide which which is better. Gasly, is he worth the, the risk, or should we just stick with Kvyat? I seem to remember that's what they did with Science When they finally pulled him up to Formula 1 from after he won World Series, he... You know, he was told by Marco, you've got to win this championship. And he did. And then he still was left hanging on. And then I think he did a test at the end of the year in Abu Dhabi. And it was around that time he was told, but they still didn't announce it at the time. So that shows how late they're prepared to leave it when it comes to sort of promoting a guy to to Tol Rosso. So Kvyat could easily be hanging on that long while they sort of make their mind up about Gasly. Yeah, they could well do the same trick. Um, science basically had to still prove himself in that test I believe and that was part of the reason that they finally said oh yeah okay we're a bit more convinced now we'll give you a shot so they might wait for Gasly's season to finish 
plug him in at a test at the end of the year and say, right, okay, where have you got to? Have you addressed the, this the is flaws? Yeah, and if he if he passes that that test, then they'll they'll promote him, and if he doesn't, they'll stick with with Kvyat. Could there be any curveballs in the driving market? Obviously, mm, we've spoken question. about Kubica coming back and doing very well in his test, but what about someone like Sebastian Buemi? He might be impressing Renault with what he's doing in Formula E. Our colleague Scott Mitchell's always saying how he's the best driver outside of Formula One. Could he come back to make a return? Possibly. There's, there's been some there's been some rumours of that. I think you mentioned Scott covering Formula E for us there. That's certainly as he's had to chase a few leads. I think about you know Renault because let's not forget Buemi is is the standout performer in Formula E for the works Renault team. And could, yeah, could we get to the point where he's doing such a good job that they think actually we need a driver? You're already in with us. We know that we know that you can deliver for us. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a very valid option. I mean, you would imagine that Renault's ties to him are close enough that they won't necessarily have their judgment tainted by his sort of previous F1 career. I reckon some of the more unimaginative teams would just say, "Well, if Red Bull didn't want him, why would we?" But Renault obviously getting a much closer look at him. Alain Prost is involved in both the F1 team and the Formula E team. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a very valid curveball he's also still only 28 by me when he was in f1 last time round, turning some very good qualifying performances he was decent technically i'm sure that from what he's done in endurance racing and to less extent formula his consistency is good he's a quick driver so he is a valid option and it's an interesting question because if you look down the the list of drivers so if we're saying massa's out if we're saying palmer is looking a long shot to stay in f1 next year there's the possibility of alonso not being in f1 if he can't do a deal there needs to be some fresh tiles to slide into place. And we've mentioned Leclerc, we've mentioned Giovinazzi as a contender, plus Gasly. And then, but it needs these people like Buemi to be kind of the, the the sort of left field people. On Giovinazzi, is there a danger that um, he might end up being a bit like Kevin Magnussen in that, that Ferrari have got someone potentially much better in the queue right behind him that they're going to yep. push him out of the way? Giovinazzi will end up in an AF course at Ferrari doing whack and doing a very good job of it a few years down the line yeah and before that he'll do some time wearing a ferrari t-shirt in the back of the garage wearing a headset and uh you know the sort of jean Verne deal that we had we saw where you know you're nominally called a, a third driver or something like that but you don't actually get to you don't actually get to do much seems it seems quite a harsh judgment on Giovinazzi. i mean his qualifying performance stepping in no, the he's, last he's, minute for verlon at sauer was incredible there's not going to be a place for him rather than saying that's what he deserves i suppose you have to and only they'll be able to do this, judge them almost back-to-back or in the same test programme in the, the Ferrari team. I mean, there's a danger that we, we get excited about Leclerc because of his dominant campaign in F2, but Giovinazzi... We were excited about Leclerc long before that. Though. Yeah, sure, that, okay, but if you you could, we could get carried ben away. Ben and his F1 blinkers. We could get carried away by the nature of his season in F2 and ignore the fact that Giovinazzi arguably had a tougher fight against a Red Bull junior driver. But we're looking, at, we're looking at the whole... Experience. You're looking at the whole package of his career up to that point as well aren't you but this way but Giovinazzi was impressive in the lower categories as well wasn't he mm. so I mean it's more is it more important what you do as you get to the point where you're in Formula One or having a chance at testing in Formula One regardless of what you did in the, the junior categories I think so Giovinazzi you could make a, just as strong a case that Ferrari should look seriously at him as you could with Eclair and they'll I think they'll need to some way head to head those two and decide right if they can't back both, then back. Alex is right. There, there won't be room longer term for both of them. Yeah, no, I whether agree. that's you know while they remain part of the of the Ferrari stable, you know, so Ferrari aren't going to 
you know, we were doubting earlier whether Ferrari would even go as far as putting one of them in another team. They're certainly not going to put two of them in other teams around the grid. So, yeah, there does come a pinch point at some point, And Leclerc's form in F2 is probably accelerating that moment arriving. Yeah, I think the only way you could see them going head to head in F1 is is if Sauber do a, a deal Proper with Ferrari team. to become to have customer engines again and yeah they become a proper junior team and you just plug them both in and go right well and that'd be fascinating to see actually see that. that'd probably be the ideal scenario it's probably quite unlikely but I think that'd be great I think the one thing that stands out here is the lack of the lack of options that are around drivers seem to come into F1 now they have a few years and then they vanish that you don't see so many of them coming back it does happen but there's not a big pool of drivers and that's down to the lack of running and testing going on if this was 10 12 years ago you'd have had all sorts of drivers you know alex verts is pedro de la rosa all these people who were doing mileage and were active drivers but now they're, they're not there so if you slide decide you want to slide a piece out you've got a very small pool of drivers to consider from you've also had the removal over the last sort of five to six years in particular of a lot of the june the proper manufacturer backed junior programs have gone away as well you know um when there were loads of manufacturers in F1, they were all part funding drives all over the place for drivers on the ladder. So it did feel like you had a lot more of the good drivers all ended up in roughly the same championships, whether it was Formula Renault, Formula 3, even GP2 in its stronger years. You don't get that so much now. And you also get, I think, drivers are jumping off the single-seater ladder a lot earlier than they used to. Because coming back to your sort of job-for-life point, Ed, they don't really see the point of scraping together, you know, the one point whatever million euros you need now to do Formula Two to get to, to only have to find that money again another year because there's no real progression there, and it's just going to cost them a load of money. Meanwhile, the guys they may have been beating in Formula Three or something like that have already gone and got GT drives, probably a Pro Am drive somewhere on LMP2 drive, and then you have so you look at people like Brendan Hartley, for example, who went off and did a bit of LMP2 racing, got picked up by Porsche. Is now like one of the world's best LMP1 sports car drivers. So I think drivers who don't have the money because it's getting so expensive are deviating from the traditional path sooner. And maybe that's why the pool feels a bit smaller. I mean, Alex, you're covering two of the most significant championships on that ladder. And we've also got the situation that in some ways they're both struggling to fill their grids, aren't we? I think Formula 2 is, what are we, 20, 20 cars, cars now? this year. Yeah. Um, they've had 26 in the past. Um, I spoke to Bruno Michel, the boss, um, about the entry process for their next three-year cycle starting next year. And he said that even for next year, he's not, not that he's not expecting, but he doesn't think they'll get 26 cars for next year. Somewhere he's hoping between 20 and 26. And the, con- the congestion is only really being eased by categories like LMP1, which is struggling a bit, I think, for, for entries, LMP2 and Formula E where there are professional drives available. And that brings us back to Buemi, who, yeah, he could be a random contender to come back in, but I think probably only as a backup option. If you look at what Renault are doing, they probably emotionally, they want, they probably want Kibitza in that seat. Kibitza it would seems. be brilliant, wouldn't it? And it's looking, what a story. Great. it's looking increasingly possible that, that this could happen. Mm. It's, it's, there certainly seems to be some will there. And Ben's one of the bigger doubters here, I think. It's interesting. I'm... You speak to sort of the guys from F1 Racing who've been given some pretty good access to what's going on there. And there's more of a feeling there that this is serious. Renault, if anything, are playing it down because they don't want to alert other people to the fact that Kubica might be a viable option. But it's interesting to get Ben's perspective because he's on what you may call the more sort of cynical side. 
in maybe just believing that a full-time F1 return is just a step too far. Yeah, people I've spoken to in the paddock, the feeling is that it's a nice story, a nice PR move. Uh, Obviously, there's strong emotional ties there, but there's not really a feeling that he's definitely absolutely 100% capable of making a, that, a comeback that, and that is still a, that is still the question yeah I'm, I'm, I almost believe it when I see it I know they're trying I'm to a, get that answer though aren't they that's why yeah. he, you know, he keeps getting it he's, he's in the car more and more now he's 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 on the scene as you say that like there's there's some momentum there but that momentum could certainly be killed if at some point they just realise no this this is they'll find something and make that the reason it can't happen yeah, I, and I'm, I'm certainly less unconvinced than I was maybe a month ago when I'd have said, this looks desperately, yes, desperately unlikely. That's optimistic, isn't it? So, you know, it, it seems to be a credible possibility, but there's still big problems with the question of whether he can absolutely get the best out of the car, in, particularly on a tighter circuit. And I cannot believe that it's feasible for him not to have some loss of that ability. Yeah, I think everyone in Formula One would like to see Robert Kubica back in a full-time seat. It'd be a great story, as Glenn mentioned, but it'd be a gamble for anyone else. Obviously, Renault know the situation the best, and I think if if they end up short of alternative options to Jolian Palmer for next season, they probably would take the risk because why not? A Hulkenberg and fully functioning Kubica line would be brilliant. I think more likely it's going to be Hulkenberg and one of the other midfield drivers that we've mentioned that wants to step up to a, a works team. And then if not, someone like Buemi maybe would come into the mix as a as an outsider. My my only concern with the Kubica thing is if they're not completely sure, what does it say about that team if they decide to go with it almost as I as I mentioned, because it's a cool story. You know, that that is a team that I, I could understand maybe an a midfield team that isn't going to go any further doing something like that. Um but Renault is a team that is trying to turn its fortunes around, trying to get back to its glory days, the Alonso years, first time around. It needs to, it needs, its next move needs to show that it's taking the next step from signing a driver like Hulkenberg. Now you've got to plug in a proper driver alongside him. It'd be great if Kubica is that option, if he's fully functional, shall we say. But yeah, I think if there's any element of risk or taking a punt involved, that suggests to me they're not serious enough about Formula One. So I think they'll make a, a final decision probably in the next next month or so once Kubitz has done a, a test or two more. Um, they're evaluating him, aren't they? So I think, yeah, as Glenn says, they have to make an absolutely definitive decision. Is this Robert Kubica at his best again? If it is, yeah, you sign him straight away and it's the next step in their yeah. their journey. If he's not, you don't touch him and it's you go after one of the more credible options on the current grid. And if you still can't, do that then you look at a random wild card like a Buemi is there anything we can say about Sauber at the moment obviously there's of course the you'd want us to talk about Sauber well, there we go. there's but there's the there's the engine issue which has a an impact on on things but is Sauber just going to be waiting for everything else to happen around it and then see what's left on the table yeah at, yeah. at the end of it so it'll end up with probably Marcus Ericsson if he doesn't get in elsewhere he's going to stay at Sauber surely yeah and I then, think I think it depends on the engine situation doesn't yeah. it Vasseur's got to go Frederick Vasseur's got to go in there as a new team boss sort out that Honda deal that is or never was we're not really sure I think if they are having Honda engines next year then you've almost got to expect that a Honda a driver a Matsushita or whoever was, is going to take one of those seats and then it's all dependent on 
does Marcus Ericsson get in at Williams or somewhere else? If he does, then that seat's open and they'll they'll probably just wait to see where everyone else slots in and take the best option they can get uh, to replace him. If not, then it'll be Ericsson plus Honda driver. If it's not Honda engines, then it all depends on what engine goes in the back of that car. It could be interesting. If they stay with Ferrari, I'm sure Fred Vasseur would be quite keen on someone like Leclerc. He knows the benefit yeah. of having yeah. a good young driver. Just yeah. wanted to also mention, you mentioned the Honda drivers. Obviously, there's still a question there about whether any of the Honda drivers are actually doing enough. Nobuhari Matsushita uh, in GP2 hasn't set the world alight. There have been some high points that have made you think, oh, actually, he could be coming through. But that's been the case for a few years now. And I don't really see anyone in the Honda ranks currently who's crying out to be put into a car. There was there was talk, Alex, that um, Fukuzumi might actually be the stronger of Honda's candidates. Is, is Has there been evidence of that from what you've seen? He's certainly been uh, right up there in GP3. Um, he's racing for ART and they've got four very, very strong drivers in their car. Um, he was unlucky at Silverstone in that he had a mechanical issue and that also affected Jack Aitken in Barcelona. So at the moment, if you look at the championship standings, George Russell of the three of those who look like to be the quickest. Mercedes Junior, of course. Yep. Mm. He has a very commanding championship lead at the moment because he hasn't had that mechanical problem. Um, Fukuzumi is very quick. He struggled at Silverstone to actually um, get everything right in all three sectors. And he was, he was for a driver who is always smiling, he's very, very popular in the paddock, he was annoyed that he missed out on pole position. So he has potential, definitely. I mean, Matsushita is the one who's closest to coming off the conveyor belt, isn't he? He's been ensconced a little bit at McLaren Honda. He's racing at F2 level. Whether or not he's quite delivering enough objectively, maybe he's beside the point. If Honda has a presence on the grid next year with a second team, a customer team, they might just from a patriotic point of view decide, yeah, come on, let's just get a Japanese driver in there, someone that we're supporting. Um, and that might be enough to just get him in there and it'll be sink or swim. So what have we actually learned from this rampage through the entire Formula One driver market for the next few years? It's that there's a lot of... There's a lot of imponderables, aren't there? There's a lot of scenarios that make sense. Well, I think we ended up at a point where really it's all going to happen in the midfield and it's going to centre around Williams and Renault, as far as I can see. Certainly for 18, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, as as we said before, Mercedes have hinted that 2019 is playing on their mind with what they do with Bottas. Um, so we'll reconvene in a year and we'll say it's all <laughs> going to be stagnant for another 12 months. Exactly. <laughs> and Glenn exactly. will be bored again in August. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's that, that's that's the thing, isn't it? You know, the big teams in general tend to be quite conservative. Too conservative. Uh, sometimes, yeah, because often it's this classic thing, isn't it? If you want somebody who's a proven Grand Prix winner, but we've had very few cars capable of winning Grand Prix in recent years, so you end up with this with this um, constant sort of tension. It's like, well, give me a good car and I'll prove what I can that I can do it. As Bottas has done this year, as Max Verstappen did. So there are there are opportunities, but it's. Um, it's going to need something quite big to happen. I, I think the the interesting one will be whether that whether there's the potential for there to be a big shake up, kind of nineteen, which probably <laughs> probably won't happen. There's a Ferrari doesn't. element for next year, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It, the big players are a Ferrari, particularly Raikkonen, uh, Alonso, and McLaren, and the engine situation there, and Renault with the second seat there. I think those are the the sort of three pivotal points, uh, and we'll see what happens with those. And once we have a clearer idea, then the rest of it will shake out. That's simple. That's simple. Well, you can follow all the news on autosport.com. Keep an eye on what's going on in the driver market. We'll have plenty of coverage there. And in, indeed, Alex's column on Charles Leclerc is there to be found. Obviously, remember to keep picking up Autosport magazine out every Thursday. You can read Ben's ramblings on Grand Prix racing. And please subscribe to this podcast if you like it. That is available through iTunes and all manner of other podcast outlets. 
Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. American Giant does things the hard way, but that's because it's the right way. By choosing to manufacture all of its clothes in the United States, American Giant supports local communities and produces the highest quality goods on the market. Ten years ago, they went against the grain and imagined making a hoodie of unbelievable quality locally. One that would hold up for years and get better with each wear. They did just that, and now they have a full range of durable essentials for men and women, including tees, premium sweaters, cozy sweats, and so much more. The best part? Everything is American-made to the highest standards, supporting hardworking communities, living wages, and safe working conditions. So you can buy your values and fill your closet with long-lasting clothes you can feel great about. Wear your values in the new year, complete with durable essentials at American-Giant.com and get 20% off with code NY23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, code NY23. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.